Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Riley, one of your hosts today. Hi, I'm Rule, also one of your hosts today. And I'm Sadie, another host today. And I'm Kiara. I haven't hosted in a bit, but I'm especially excited to come back for the stories on this episode. And I'm Karen, excited for this fourth episode of the fourth season entitled Half Steps. I'm Sarah, also one of your hosts today. In this episode, two young authors navigate familial ties that are maybe just a half step away from the rest. And I'm Rebecca. Let's get into these stories. This first story of the night is by a new author to Life Out Loud named Dylan Yepes. Dylan Yepes is a senior at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, majoring in criminal justice and English. He's both interested in attending law school and script writing after he graduates from John Jay. During his free time, he loves to skateboard next to cabs in the city streets, watch as many films as he can, pet puppies with his girlfriend at a pet shop in Chelsea, and overall, spend time with his close ones. What gives Dylan the most joy is helping those who've lost hope in life find that hope again. Let's take a listen to Dylan's story entitled, Last Names. Families always seemed so perfect on that big box with a screen that sat in the living room. As a child, I'd sit in front of it after school to tune into shows like Malcolm in the Middle or even Stevens and see what was new with their families, what kind of adventures they were up to. These families would always consist of a mother, a father, bickering siblings, and a last name they'd all share. The last name they'd all share was important to me. It was a way of letting others know that you and your family belong together. The Stevens, the Parkers, the Wilsons, the Yepes. Even if there were only one kid or no kid at all in a family, I thought it was necessary for there to be a shared last name. For that reason, I naturally thought my mom and sister's last name was Yepes, because mine was. After all, my friends would call my mom Mrs. Yepes, and sometimes, so would my teachers. But when an eight-year-old me overhears my mom say her last name to the receptionist at the doctor's office, reality surfaces. Hello, I'm checking in. My name is Hilda Loiza. Lo what? Who's that? It's Yepes. Wait, maybe I heard that wrong. As we sit and wait for my mom's doctor to call her name, I daydream that he'll come out and say, Mrs. Yepes, I'm ready to see you. These words would put all my doubts to sleep. I guess it would also mean that I have to get my hearing checked. Soon enough, the waiting room door opens, and out comes a typical-looking doctor. White lab coat on, with three different colored pens in his chest pocket for no reason. Stethoscope around the neck, ready to check those heartbeats at any second. And the cliché clipboard in hand. He shuffles through the papers on the clipboard, and as he does so, my right leg starts tapping rapidly as if I were a drummer for a band trying to keep up with the fast-paced beat of the song. He pauses for a second, looks up, and goes, Mrs. Loiza? Tapping stops. My mom responds to this name. She gets up. She actually goes to him. I sit and ponder for a moment. I have a good 30 minutes to make sense out of all this before my mom comes back out, and I'd have to ask her. I try to do one of those brain blasts Jimmy Neutron does. I sit and think real hard about all the families of the shows I've watched. 
I guess there isn't a lot my family has in common with those on TV. My dad isn't here. My sister just comes and goes. I don't really know where. It's just me and my mom most of the time. Not much of a full house. And now this? Now her last name starts with an L and mine with a Y? But those letters are so far apart from each other in the alphabet. And now I feel so far apart from her. Does my sister even have my last name? She doesn't. I'd later do some snooping of my own and look at her homework sheets, only to find out her last name is actually Rosado. <sighs> when my mom finally comes out of her appointment, I stay quiet. I'm too quiet. What's wrong? Mom asks with a weary face from being up all morning. Mom, why is your last name low, low, whatever it is? Why is it not mine? <sighs> The conversation starts, but I don't get an answer. Not that day. Instead, my mom tells me that as I get older, she'll explain. By age nine, mom would explain that my sister and I don't share dads, and that's why her last name is Rosado. Mom would also explain that when my sister would disappear, she would go see her dad. So, I guess that's why me and my sister don't look alike. Everyone always says she's the better looking one out of both of us. By age 12, mom would explain why I couldn't see my dad the way my sister saw hers. Mom would explain that my dad made some mistakes. Mom would explain that my dad was imprisoned in Colombia. Mom would explain that maybe I'd see him one day. I only knew my dad through two pictures and a voice I'd hear every other weekend on the other end of a phone call, which I would get less and less of as the years went by. I have no memory of him. I used to look at one of those pictures to see if I could trigger any memories of him, but instead it triggers the memory of when my mom insisted on finding this picture and showing it to me. Dylan, you know your dad took you horseback riding when you were one year old? Los caballitos, the horses. I have a picture of it. You were so cute on this white horse. My eyes glare up at her and excitement fills my little eight-year-old self. I help her look for this picture and we start shuffling through stacks and stacks of photos as if we were looking for gold. She finally finds it. She picks it up smiling and looks at it for a couple of seconds then passes it to me. There I was, sitting on a white horse. Not the white horse I expected. I was on a white, rusty, plastic carousel horse of a carousel that seemed to be across the street from some run-down Burger King with a half-lit red neon sign. I don't even look like I'm having fun. My dad doesn't look like he's having fun either. In fact, we both have the same deer-in-the-headlights look on our faces, mouths open and all. If this moment was considered picture-worthy, most likely means we didn't have many moments to share together in the first place. By age 16, Mother realized I'd grown up. I was no longer a boy, and she would explain that I have other siblings on my father's side. A brother and a sister. She would explain that they lived in Florida with their mother, and that they probably don't even know I exist. But now, I knew they existed, and I couldn't unknow that. I wanted to know more. I bombarded my mother with questions, but no matter how many questions I had, she couldn't even answer one. She knew just as much as I did about them. She only knew of their existence. <sighs> A year passed by. My mother, knowing how much I wanted to know more and being the expert snoop that she is, 
Found my distant sister's Facebook page after gathering little pieces of information from associates of my father's. She showed me her page, and there she was. On this five-inch screen, she had a profile picture, a friends list, and right under her picture was her name. Camila Yepes. And a question of Facebook's. Do you know Camila? Send her a friend request. Wish I did. Wish I could. My mother says she looks just like my dad, which means she looks nothing like me because I look nothing like him. She has his chubby cheeks that would only get chubbier when we would swipe right and see the photos where she smiles. She has his dark green eyes that would only become more noticeably green when under direct sunlight. She has the same light brown hair as him that was paper thin as opposed to my thick dark brown hair. She has his last name. Which is my last name, too. Another year passes by. I'm about to graduate from high school in Georgia and start another chapter of my life in college, all the way in New York. And according to my mom, who's constantly stalking Camila's Facebook page, so is Camila. My mom points out to me that Camila updated her Facebook page and now says she's going to NYU. Going to NYU all the way from Florida. So, I immediately think about the possibility of seeing her. How maybe we could meet now that she would be close to me. My mother, however, thinks about the possibility that my son-of-a-bitch father is helping her pay her tuition and not mine. My mother eventually comes to the conclusion that she's probably getting help by her mother. I may have also gotten a scholarship, and I come to the conclusion that even though we'll both be in New York City, it's a big city, I probably won't even see her. At least, that's what I thought. A year and a half passes by. It's the second semester of my sophomore year in college at CUNY, John Jay. My friend Luca decides it's time we get a fake ID, so we go to NYU because his friends go there and they can hook us up. By that time, I'd stopped thinking about my half-sister that much. The one who I'd never met that goes there only a couple of stops away from me on the A-train. I know there's a chance I could always run into her, but the chances are so slim. I just don't even think about it. We meet up with his friends at Washington Square Park. And after about five minutes of talking and introducing, we head towards the NYU dining hall. It's a Saturday afternoon. Some students eating there seem high out of their minds. I can easily tell by looking at their squinty red eyes that give off a dazed look as they stuff their faces with Saturday special. One kid starts putting on visine. It doesn't help, but his friend tells him he's good anyways. Me, Luca, and Luca's friends get the Saturday special the kids who are suffering a bad case of the munchies are stuffing their faces in with. It's not all that special, just some baked macaroni and cheese with turkey on the side. But it sure is hitting the spot for those kids who don't even waste a second to wipe the cheese off their chins. We then get to business. Since I don't know Luca's friends that well, I don't contribute much to the conversation. So, each fake is 60, but if you get them together, the total will only be 100. I let Luca do the talking. Do you have a sample that I can see, he asks. I get lost in the conversation, my eyes start to wander a bit. They wander left, they wander right, they wander past the stone kids who just finished their meals. But then, four tables down, to the right, 
I... I see her. I see my sister. I try to take more looks as my eyes try to dodge the many students walking right into the direct line of vision I have with her. My heart races. It really is her. I start breathing heavily. I slowly exhale the moments I saw her online and inhale the moment I'm experiencing now. She reads what looks to be like some anatomy textbook and takes notes as she does so. She studies it while I study her. I stare at her from about 30 feet away. To her, I'm some stranger, but to me, to me, she's my sister. Should I even go up to her, I ask myself? What would I even say? Hey, my name is Dylan. I'm your long-lost brother. Would she even believe me? Would she think it was some kind of sick prank? Or would she know me? Would she recognize my name because my dad told her about me? I mean, surely she could recognize our shared last names. It's our last name. We belong together. Brother and sister, the bickering, the love, the last names. Yepes. We catch up on all the time lost. Talk about how different our lives have been over coffee that I don't even like drinking. We could go to each other's graduation ceremonies, go to each other's weddings. I could be the uncle of her kids and she could be the aunt of mine. We could have great big Thanksgiving dinners and nice Christmas get-togethers. Maybe then I could have a family like those on TV. But what if by trying to start a new relationship, I break an old one? What if my mom's right? My dad hasn't told her anything about me. She'd be devastated. She'd feel like she'd been lied to all her life by my dad. She could be in denial about me and hate me for showing up. Hate me for existing. Then she'd hate my dad for deceiving her and her mother. <sighs> because the truth I don't want to acknowledge is I'm a bastard. Not the you bastard bastard, but an illegitimate child bastard, as Dictionary.com likes to put it. A child outside of marriage. I'm the product of adultery and infidelity. I'm living evidence of my dad's unfaithfulness to his wife, Camilla's mother. Unfaithfulness that she shouldn't have to know about. I can't do this to her. No, 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 I can't. She doesn't need this right now. She seems so focused on her studies, and I, I don't want to get in the way of that. It'd be selfish. I don't want to turn away, but I guess I should. And so, say goodbye in my head. Goodbye to my sister. Goodbye to what could have been if only it could have been that easy. Little would she ever know. I turn my head away and look over at Luca as he says to me, Yeah, so just Venmo me 50 for your half. I'll pay it all in cash right now. When it arrives, my fake ID has my real name on it. Until I turn 21, that's me. I'm Dylan Yepes, a 23-year-old male from Jacksonville, Florida. Even after I don't need this ID anymore, that'll still be me. Still be my name. And I may not have another Yepes in my life right now, but I know I will. One day. One day? I will. Wow. <sighs> Powerful words. Yeah. That was so good. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. So, 
The ending of your story is so heartbreaking. After feeling disconnected to your mother and sister you grew up with, you finally come face to face with Camilla, who shares your last name, who shares your mysterious father, but you chose not to introduce yourself, fearing that your very existence might cause Camilla pain. Could you elaborate on your feelings behind that decision, and do you regret it? Well, uh, in the moment, there was a lot going through my head, mm-hmm. and there was an overwhelming feeling that I couldn't do it and that I shouldn't do it that was just killing the side of me that wanted to do it. And sometimes, I, I mean, I say it's because of for protection, because it's true, but then there's this other part of me that is scared that she'll reject me. And I also touch up on that a little bit in the piece. So, yeah, that was that answers your question, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. I mean, I can kind of relate. I had a a half sister myself that I had trouble reaching out to. So I I definitely get the feeling that you had a hard time trying to connect and reach mm-hmm. out. So yeah, but you know, thanks for sharing that part, though. Yeah. No problem. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so you structure your story by your age as you grow up, and the phrase "by the age of." introduces a new, older version of your character. Was this structure how you put yourself back into your various ages as you wrote? By the time you were 16, you started calling your mother, mother, and not mom. So was that also a purposeful part of the structure of the piece? That was. I wanted to signal to people that I was maturing and that I no longer call my mom, mommy, or, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to put mommy earlier on, but I was like, I think that's a little weird. I mean, <laughs> by nine years old, I don't, I don't think I, I called my mom mommy anymore. Yeah. But but I definitely, yeah, <laughs> I do it at times too. <laughs> but by age 16, yeah, I was trying to signal the yeah. reader that I was maturing. So I added mother. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't pick up on that at first. Um, your story focuses so much on the significance and power behind our names. Um, and significance and power that we give our names sometimes and not necessarily everyone else. And the sudden discovery that your last name was different than your mother and your sisters immediately separated you from them. Um, but with Camilla, your shared last name gave you an instant connection. Um, so could you elaborate on how your last name has affected you? And have you ever even wanted to change it to align yourself more with your mother? Or have you felt that that isn't necessarily... Um, necessary I never wanted to change it to my mother's life there were at times I would tell my mom that I wanted to change it because I wanted to make her feel better at times because mm-hmm. she would mm-hmm. she would feel she has a lot of resentment resentment for my father and mm-hmm. so at times I, I would try to make her feel better by saying that I changed my last name and that I would do this this and that and I don't like my dad I hate him and like you know, but there's always that part of me that just doesn't know. I don't know how I feel. But my last name was always something that was important to me. It made me feel unique. And even when it separated me from my mom and my sister, it it was something I, I never wanted to change or or even like I would I, I at times I was really singy as a kid, I, or like really stubborn as a kid when um it came to people pronouncing my last name because I, it, it was it, i wanted them to pronounce it the way it was pronounced in spanish mm-hmm. but i know that 
not everyone's a Spanish speaker, so then I had to settle as I grew up. So to answer your question, yeah, I never wanted to change it. I always was proud of it because it kept me it kept me in touch with my Colombian roots, my mm. Colombian side of me because my yeah. my, mm. my mom's Ecuadorian. And this is isn't part of the story and none of you know this, but I grew up with like uh, there was a moment where my mother um had to leave me with another person and that person was Colombian and so that's when I really wanted to embrace my Colombian mm. roots and I could through my last name because everyone would recognize it as it being the last name of the soccer player yeah. of the Colombian yeah. national soccer yeah. team. So I'd be proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is so nice. <laughs> and to insist that, no, my name is this way, yeah. um, I think is also really powerful, especially with names like I relate for sure, like Argeta. <coughs> Everyone's like, Argeta. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not exactly. And I understand that some people's just, your tongue just doesn't move that yeah. way. I get it. But it's also um, important to heritage, I think, as yeah. well. Like it is part of you. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, so you probably answered this before, but what would you like listeners to take away from the story? I would like them to take away the fact that families aren't perfect. And a lot of families are broken and that it's okay. It's normal. Mm -hmm. And even though it may not seem normal because of what you see on that big screen that sits in the living room, it is. And... Every now and then, I mean, as when you start meeting new people, you realize that it's true that not even if 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 families seem perfect to you because you go to their house every Friday or every other Friday because you visit your friend, there are some things going on behind the scenes, and that's what I want them to take away. And also that last names are really important; like mm -hmm. they are important, and names are important. It's it's. It's how you identify. It's it's mm -hmm. it it's what brings everyone together. And I could always just I think about it a lot. And even stories that I read in our workshop class, I could I could see that names coming up, and I always try to mention it sometimes <laughs> without trying to make it about me and my story. But <laughs> um, yeah. Well, with that, we'd um like to thank you for coming in, and uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me, guys. I love it. <laughs>
itself wraps me with my 10-year-old Minnie Mouse blankie and rushes me to the back glass door. A few years back, when I was in ninth grade, my language arts teacher told us to tell of the big spoon. Legend has it that if kids put a spoon under their pillow the night before it's supposed to snow, they'll get an Everest of snow and inevitably no school. I'm not 100% confident in it, but it's worth taking the chance. From that moment on, when I know it's going to snow or there are chances of snowing, I find the biggest spoon in my house and place it carefully under my pillow each and every time. My sleepy eyes are trying to adjust to the blinding snow blocking the door. Ugh, it isn't blocking the door enough. School is still happening just a few hours later. I struggle my way into the bathroom until my conformist black jeans and basic burgundy polo. I push myself into the kitchen to find my Minnie Mouse cup filled with cold milk and cover omelette my mom left for me. The cup goes into the microwave for less than a minute. When my mom texts us, something about Cesar taking me to school today. No hagas molestar a Cesar. Do not upset Cesar, she adds. A phrase that has replaced her, how are you, and how was your days. Why can't she tell him to not upset me? Because to be honest, he gets mad at everything I do, everything I say, and at everything I don't say. <sighs> it wasn't out of the ordinary that I get a ride to school for my mom or even Caesar, my stepdad. Although my mom did not allow him to be the first driver option. She likes her peace. Regardless of anything, they found Joey in a 25-minute drive to school, as if at the end there will be a per-end-of-the-year award waiting or something. On an everyday basis, it didn't bother me so much, though. Free rides and more sleep. But once in a while, I wanted to unglue myself from my mom and sister's relationship. I decide to answer my mom later and enjoy the last few minutes of this heavenly time before the classic, hurry up, you're gonna be late, comes through that door. I sit in my regular spot, which is in front of where my mom usually sits. That has been my seat from the day I set foot in this house. Back in Peru, way before Cesar, when I was living with my mom alone, I would sit in front of her for our quick breakfast before she had to go to work and before the school bus came to pick me up. I drank warm milk from a Minnie Mouse cup, similar to the one I have now, and she will drink her burning coffee from a non-matching cup set in which she, from time to time, drowned little pieces of cheese that she rescued on drying her mouth. Caesar, her now husband of six years, hates the cheese in the coffee thing. He thinks it looks disgusting. He just doesn't get it. I remember my mom enjoying her cheese like that so much while still being mindful not to spill anything on her clothes. Her classic orange headband and matching sweater with a brown skirt that had flowers in the bottom was my favorite. She seemed so confident and independent and caring and stunning going to see patients and doctors dressed like that. Before moving to America, Caesar told us to leave our clothes and take just the essentials because he will take us shopping as soon as we stepped out of the airplane. I never saw that perfect little outfit after we left Peru. <sighs> Marcella, are you ready? What time do you have to be at school? Caesar barges in and I know it's time to go. I put the dishes in the sink, brush my teeth, and get in the car. As always, 
he starts complaining that I'm late, though I'm really not. Sometimes I feel like he's always forcing everything and everyone to match his own speed. The day he proposed marriage to my mom was the same day he talked to her for the first time in five years. How can I forget? June 26, 2010. My mom's birthday. I was at our two-bedroom apartment at the time, sitting our before-I-can-remember-old yellow couch with colorful splash flowers. The phone on the living room kitchen space rang, and I picked it up. It was a strange voice asking if my mom was home. No, está trabajando. No, she's at work. The manly voice asked to speak to an adult. So I handed the phone over to my aunt, who will help us around the house during that time. She found out this person's name, Caesar, and informed him that it was my mom's, Jessica, birthday. When my mom got home in the late afternoon, which was earlier than her usual arrival time, she found out about the phone call. Truth is, she didn't remember Caesar, or that they had met five years ago one random day when he traveled to Peru from the U.S. for his own fourth wedding. That night, flowers arrived for my mom along with a second phone call to just wish her happy birthday. After the life-changing phone call, she walked into my room while I was watching the Disney Channel and asked me how I felt about going to the United States. My eyes sparkled as I answered that question. Vamos a poder ir a Disney, podría ir a la universidad allá. I could go to Disney and go to college over there. She saw the sparkle and, like always, she told me everything. I was her confidant. She told me that this man who lived in the United States, who she met five years ago, offered her to marry her and take her and I to the United States. She told me how he felt in love with her from the moment he saw her and couldn't forget about her since then. Then, she asked nine-year-old Marcella what to do. I didn't know him. What was he like? What did he look like? Or if my mom loved him? At that time, none of those questions crossed my mind. At that time, I didn't think how her marrying him will change things, will change our little family. How could I have known? She never had a serious boyfriend before far less a husband. We never had lived with a man. I never lived with a man or with a father figure at all. No one in my family had a successful marriage except for my grandparents. I didn't know what marriage was like. So, I told my mom to go for it because, truth was, I wasn't sure she would be able to afford next year's middle school tuition and I didn't want to not go to school or worse, not go to college. Also, I always wanted my mom to fall in love. When my mom accepted his proposal about two months later, he knew she wasn't in love. He knew when my mom agreed to marry him. He didn't mind as long as he had her. <sighs> as he starts the car, he gives me the whole speech on how you always have to leave early because there can be traffic and you don't want to rush. And that's a bad habit to get in. It's a speech that my mom has given me a million times too. I don't need it from him. 
Well, you always rush to work. I insert without even thinking. Fudge. I just did what my mom asked me not to. No lo hagas molestar. Do not upset him. But why do her motherly morning announcements need to include that at all? She says it as if it is my responsibility if he gets mad. Anyway, I don't think he hurt me, so I tell God. Right? I add him to the left to see if he looks disrespected. Bullet touched. I decide I won't speak at all. I'll just keep my thoughts for myself from now on as to not upset my mom. She always gets caught in the middle. Weekend breakfast tend to be mandatory family time because, according to Caesar, we do not spend enough time as a family. The amount of homework I will get and all the activities I was involved in, AP classes, honor, college classes, soccer and dance, demanded my sleep hours to be reduced to a maximum of four. Weekends were usually my please just let me sleep days, but he didn't get that. 6 a.m. Caesar was already up. He would wake up my mom so she could make breakfast and wake me up. Maybe he'll let her sleep an extra hour, but no more than that. Around 8 a.m., I will hear the TV on at its maximum volume, the kitchen being used, and Caesar telling my mom, Yeah, levántala, Marcela. Go, wake up, Marcela. My mom will try to tell him to let me sleep, but he wanted breakfast as the family. Guess his fifth go around a marriage and family stuff was important to him, but I don't understand why that has to be my problem. Around 8.30 a.m., I will hear him getting mad and telling my mom that I was a bad child. Mom will come into my room and tell me to please wake up. Por favor, bebe, levántate. César ya está renegando. Solo salúdalo y no lo hagas molestar. Please, baby, wake up. César is getting upset. Just say good morning to him and do not upset him. I will get to the kitchen and see him sitting there on the far end of the table watching TV while my mom still has sleep was finishing breakfast. He didn't even bother ask if she needed help. He will just tell her to hurry up because he was hungry. <sighs> I hate doing this. Not being able to say what I think. It isn't fair. I came to the land of the free and home of the brave for what? For this, my freedom is being stolen by a wannabe perfect husband. He's driving slowly and seems so distracted. I want to tell him to hurry up, but I know the exact words that he will say. If you don't want to hurry up, why would I hurry up? Which translates to, it was my responsibility to be ready when he got home. But since I wasn't ready, it seems that I don't care about being late to school. So why will he care about me being late? Oh, to think that I'm supposed to be the petty teenager. We haven't even left the block and now he's talking with the neighbor about he hasn't covered the fig trees this winter. Ugh. Don't say anything. If we do not move in the next five seconds, I'm going to burst. <sighs> the first time I burst at him, I was 10-year-old full Peruvian Marcella. He had gone to Peru to meet my mom for the first time and I only knew him by a few phone calls. It was summer vacation, and I had to go to my swimming classes that he was paying for. 
My mom had to work that day, so she asked him to take me. I was awkwardly sitting at the table finishing breakfast with my mom's estranged fiancé. And my curiosity drove me to ask him he's not accepted by my aunt's age. Proudly, he answered, 72. How could I let my mom marry him? He's even older than my grandfather and he just met my mom. No, this can't happen. He's even taken over my side of the bed, pushing me over to a whole other room. Caesar doesn't think kids should sleep with their parents, especially if the kid is a boy. He doesn't think a wife should sleep somewhere else besides where her husband sleeps. Little did I know, at that time, that once we move to America, my days of crawling into my mom's bed at night will be over. The first few years in America, my mom couldn't even travel by herself to see her brothers in Maryland or Virginia because it would mean that she had to sleep without her husband. And according to Caesar, she would be alone with a man that wasn't him. That day, I looked at him straight in the eye and told him that he was too old for my mother and that I wanted him gone. He got up from the table, told me how disrespectful I was, and started packing. Words that I will come to hear often and actions that will switch characters. Minutes later, the referee called me, accusing me before hearing my side of the story and only caring about him. I tried telling her my side, and she asked me, do you still want to go to Disney and Harvard? Those two had been my biggest impossible dreams after getting my visa rejected multiple times. I had big dreams, and education was always the biggest of all, of course. At that time, I wanted to be an environmental engineer, a career that meant college tuition. Money that my mom didn't have, money that a single mother in Peru usually doesn't have. She told me to go apologize to him. So, I went over to the Caesar Jessica room, and my trembling fist knocked on the door. Tinted tears down my face when the hardest words in any language were forced out of my mouth by the thoughts of the American dream. Lo siento. I'm sorry. <sighs> How's school yesterday? Anything new? His words break the mist of awkwardness around us, a mist that I'd rather keep. It was good. Liar. School wasn't just good. I could have been more specific, but I just gave him a black and white answer, the type of answer you give to people you barely know. I know that's not the answer he wants, but I can't give him that answer. The answer that he wants is a father answer, which includes my crazy lunch adventures, the moment in between classes, my life talks with my close friend Melanie, and how my statistics class with Dally, no need for Mr. The disrespect. I know, is amazing. It could even include how I had analyzed the book I'm reading for my literature class. Maybe he's read The Handmaid's Tale, and we could have had a deep and meaningful conversation. But I can't. Maybe it is not his fault we can't bond over something as little as homework. He didn't even finish high school. 
He had to leave his greedy father and work to support himself and his wife at the time. Maybe that's why he doesn't get it. All he ever thought about was having a family to replace the one he didn't have growing up. His first wife and he got married after three weeks, and that's because he was waiting for her to turn 18. Like all his marriages, she was younger than him, this time only five years younger. Whenever he meets a couple that has been dating for more than six months, he starts pushing them into a chapel. Maybe that's why he doesn't understand my life plan. He doesn't get why I want to travel the world and enjoy life. How marriage is not even in my life plan. When I tell him that after college graduation, I want to move out, he starts crying and tells me that I can't leave. When I told him I was applying to colleges out of state, he said he let us know so we can move to that state. <sighs> can this car go any faster? It's just been two blocks. I still feel bad in a way for not giving him a daughterly reply. He was not asking just to be polite. He truly wanted to know about school. Instead, I let the car ride fall into the midst of silence once again. I can't make him upset. My mom said not to do that. Well, my silence won't make him upset. He won't find it weird. He won't get mad and tell my mom I'm misbehaving. He's already used to my morning silence. It's either that or anger. Six years, and he has learned to know a part of me at least. Maybe he'll add a, Marcela, carajo, you never talk, in an annoyed but nothing out of the ordinary voice followed by a disappointed head shake. But he doesn't. At least not this time. Maybe he's giving up on being my father. Would that be possible? I mean, I wouldn't mind. At least I don't think I would. He will finally stop calling people for every recognition I receive in school, and every time my teachers tell him how smart I am. He will finally stop asking me to change my last name to his. He will finally stop expecting me to actually confide in him. But what about how he waits all morning for me to wake up just to cook me breakfast? What about watching the next Taken or Johnny Wick movie together? What about checking up on me every night he comes home from work just to see that I'm healthy? What about defending me every time my mom talks about kicking me out of the house if I ever make any mistakes? What about the words, if Marcella wants it, get it. Although the phrase comes with a bound. ¿Qué creen ustedes? ¿Que el dinero se regala? De aquí ya se acabarán las compras. What do you two think? The money comes from trees? From now on, no more shopping. But what about finally having a father? Is it possible that I'm being a bad daughter? It could be the age, and I'm just being rebellious. I'm only 17. Kids at my age act up. At least that's what everyone says. What TV shows. Maybe I should give him a chance and let him be the father he tries to be. He does try. <sighs> Once, while I was still in Peru, I got a pink eye and my mom told him. It was a nearly the worst sickness I've had in my whole life but he sent me flowers along with get-well balloons and a teddy bear, now named Osa Pandrosa.
Not even my own biological father, sperm donor as I call him, has ever done that. I don't even think he knows when I get sick, and I doubt he will even care if he did know. I guess that's why I started to resent my father when Caesar came into my life. Unlike Caesar, my own biological father didn't care. He wasn't there for any of my school achievements or performances or birthdays or cranky mornings. He didn't even care to try to be a father. What the fuck is wrong with me? Why can't I just be thankful for Caesar? I have a dad figure right here. It's not perfect, but it's better than what I could have had. Better than what many people have. He does care. He's the father that took me to Disney, the one who gave me a non-broken family, as the church people call it when I tried doing my first communion, who gives me rights to school and who wants to know how yesterday was and who cares if I develop bad habits like being late. But I just... <sighs> this is my chance to have a father like on those Disney shows. He's willing to play the part. Marcella, just play your fucking part. <sighs> Three more blocks. The silent mist keeps getting thicker and thicker as the red light stops us. I look at him, his wrinkled eyes underneath his half-bushy eyebrows, his blue hat covering a shiny head and his hanging, wrinkling cheeks that surround some very thin lips. I love him, right? I mean, he's basically my dad at this point. He's not Cinderella's step-parent. He's a billion times better. He genuinely wants me to be his daughter. He's always thinking about what I like. He never says no to me when I want something. He could say no to my mom, but never me. I'm lucky, right? But I don't want everything. I don't want him to buy my love. I want him to earn it. Maybe it's just too late for someone to try to be a dad to me. I already got used to having a two-in-one with my mom. She has taken both roles for as long as I can remember. I do appreciate and care for him, but it's not love. One morning, when I was in seventh grade, Tears born from anger came crawling out of my heart. I looked at my friend and told her that Caesar wanted me to call him Papa. He said that he felt like a father to me and his only wish was to hear that word from me. But the word couldn't come out. I was angry at myself. Was there something wrong with me that not even his tears broke me down? I couldn't call him that that day, but maybe... I will be able to get those words out someday, I hope, as I saw him cry for my daughterly love. That day hasn't come yet. Well, not exactly. Not soon after we moved in together, I started calling him dad when I introduced him to others at least. This is my dad, I'd say. He looks so proud and like he belonged in my life. But I only done it because I didn't want to explain that he was my stepdad to everyone. I don't like telling the story of the abandoned girl. And besides, whenever I include the word step in front of dad, 
he will cry himself to sleep. That was a big sacrifice for me. Why can't he appreciate it and make the gesture last a whole lifetime? I want to tell him to stop asking me to call him dad because it hurts me too. Maybe a part of me doesn't want to be let down by another father. Or maybe I just can't have him replace my mom. <sighs> Two more blocks after this red light. Please change fast. Entre nosotros no hay secretos. His voice resonates inside my head making me feel bad because there are secrets between us. Damn it. He doesn't even know one of my closest friends is gay or that I have a boyfriend. I'm able to share all of this with my mom. She knows almost every one of my secrets. But Caesar will never understand. <sighs> Finally, the light changes. I know he has done a lot for me, but he has never tried to really talk to me and understand me. He thinks by giving me money and bringing me to this country, I owe him my life. I want to run away sometimes and leave it all behind. While my mom and I were in Peru, he will send us money because I wanted to go to the movie theater or just to buy pizza. I didn't know then that all of the fun meant that I'd be forced to patronize him. That year, while my mom and Cesar had their long-distance relationship, I did things that I hadn't done in a really long time. I was able to go watch a movie with my mom and have a nice meal with her. Before him, it was either a nice meal without my mom or a regular meal of rice and fried egg with my mom. Back then, my mom would pretend that she wasn't hungry anymore, so there'd be more food for me. Caesar allowed me to have a good life. He allowed my mother to have a good life. Even here, for the first time, people at school knew who my mom was. Teachers even made fun of her for being there at 3 or 5 p.m. every school day. She wasn't always at work anymore. He had enough money to support my mom and I without her having to work. We should be thankful. We were thankful. We are thankful. Never in my life had I seen my mom not work. Never had she had the time to sit down with me and watch a movie or go out shopping. She was so busy when Cesar wasn't there to take care of her, to take care of us. But she was so beautiful in her work clothes, so confident and independent in all that she made happen. She used to hold her independence so high. She used to tell me, never depend on a man. And now she's cooking meals and clipping toenails for one. I regret fooling her decision sometimes. I could have been just fine without Disney and Harvard and a non-broken family. Our little family of two was just more than enough. A block and a half. Come on, cars, move! Snow is making this bride take forever. Then, why can't I just talk to him like I talk to my mom? Why can't I sit down and watch a movie with him? I know I should be thankful, but he's always criticizing everything. He thinks he's right about everything and can be a machista at times. He believes women need a husband and they are synonyms 
for words such as big butts and big breasts. Come on, Marcella. He's old, from a different time, a different era. Give him a break. But this is why I can't tell him about my one great friend, Melanie, at school because she is gay. If I ever tell him about this girl and how great she is, he will tell me to never bring her into the house. He will prohibit me from being her friend, as if being gay were contagious. Although he says he's not homophobic because he has friends who are gay, but no family of him could ever be gay. No person that likes their same gender should be allowed to get married or have kids because God says marriage should be between a man and a woman. All lies. He's not even close to being the most religious person. He's only one when it's convenient for him. He forgets his religious when he talks about how many girls he scored or how I should have went to bed earlier because he wanted to have sex with my mom last night. I don't want to know his sex stories, especially not the ones that involve my mom. That's not information you share with your daughter, is it? He always takes pride on how many girls he has slept with. He even tells me that my mom was his the night he got to Peru after their phone call engagement. When people come over, he tells them stories of how before my mom or while he was single, his young girlfriends will come to his house and help him around. He describes them as the girl with the big breasts or the one that had the fake butt. Once in a while, he even tells my mom how he didn't fall for her because of her body, because she doesn't have a nice one. I should feel lucky though. I have food, clothes, a mom, a dad. I don't struggle. I should not complain. I have a nice life here in the US. I look at Caesar. He has been there in my life for six years already. I owe him all that I have, even having my mom near me. He's not even abusive like some step parents. I am your guardian angel, he says all the time. Although the title he gives himself might be right, I hate hearing such phrase come out of his mouth. I hate owing people. I want to scream, no, you are not. But instead, joking around, I tell him, my mom is yours. It is true. We've helped him too. He never had a real family. He made four attempts. Only the fifth one succeeded. My mom takes care of him better than his own kids do. Even when he treats her like she's worth nothing. Like she isn't smart. Like she's his own personal server. Or a puta. How am I supposed to love him if almost every day I hear him argue with my mom? Whether it's a classic, Esto no está rico. This isn't tasty, during lunch with a side of, God, now I have to eat this stare. Or the, now you don't even wait for me at night with something to eat. I have to do it all myself. There is somehow always a little argument or a fight. Come on, light, change. Don't you ever say that to her. I barge in with one of those sentences to stop him from spitting hurtful comments to my mom. 
Somehow, it's true. He thinks every guy wants to hit on you or that my mom is flirting with every guy because that is how much of a player he used to be when he was younger. And now, he thinks everyone is like that. Even now, he goes and flirts with his female customers like it's a normal act. But half my mom even dare try it. She will be the biggest hoe out there. He is the one that invites all of his exes to his annual celebration. He thinks it's totally fine because it's a American way and we live in America. So it has to be that way. But have my mom even have his ex on Facebook? Hell on earth. <sighs> One more block. I want to tell him everything. I'm not as perfect as he wants me to be. I'm tired of him praising me. I act childish sometimes. I like cartoons. I struggle with some school subjects. I'm not good at sports. But mainly, I'm not like his other daughters. I am not his daughter. I am my mom's. I wasn't raised like them. I was raised by my mom and by my aunts and by my own family. I was even raised by myself because everyone was too busy to make sure I was doing good. I remember getting home from school to an empty house and finding a post-it on the microwave from my aunt. It will say that my foot is in the microwave. I will hit it up and sit on an empty table or in the kitchen if the lady that helped us was there. Then I will wash the dishes and do my homework. The last red light is here. I look at him. He is old. I can't hate him or leave him on his own. I care for him, but I can't say it. And the truth is, we need him. I need him. Without him, I will have nothing. It is my senior year. Who is going to pay for college and food? I need him. I can't keep making him mad and creating more problems. <sighs> Finally, I get to school. Have a good day, Marcy, he says. He gives me a kiss on my forehead as I say goodbye. I open the car door, step out, and grab my bag trying to avoid eye contact. Thank you, Cesar. You too. I say to him as I close the car door and my chance to tell him about my day. Two years later, on a rare blurry night for my mother, she confesses the truth behind her No lo hagas molestar a Cesar. Do not make him mad instructions. As tears come running down her face, she begs me to take her out of the Jessica Cesar room and to take her to mine. I do as she asks. I lay her gently on my bed as her friends tell me to call them or 911 if I need anything. Finally, I sit down on my bed, petting her head, wishing for her brown skirt and orange top. My mom's half-sleep self begs me to not leave her because she was afraid, she said. Afraid of her own husband. She's tipsy and out of it, but she seems serious. Fearful of her answer, I ask her if Caesar has ever laid his hands on her.
In my safety room, I get a no as an answer, and I breathe a sigh of relief. I wait till the brain blurriness leaves to ask her again if she has ever hit her. Again, she says no. A part of me wants to believe her, but the other part thinks back to how he can burst into anger and how he hits the table when he gets mad. A part of me wants to ask him if he has hit my mother, the one I'm holding right now, who looks like she might throw up at any moment. But I know I won't ask him, and I doubt that her and I will ever have this conversation again. And maybe that's okay, because a large part of me just doesn't want to be involved anymore with the Caesar-Jessica relationship. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Well, thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, Marcel, gosh, that that ending of your story, it was just so so stomach-turning with worry for your mother. And this entire time, we see Caesar as kind of a jerk. But maybe because of age or his more human moments, it does come as, as a surprise when we see that he may have hurt her. We see your mother characterized throughout the piece through your eyes. Strong memories of her and her beautiful work clothes and ready to give you the world even if it means marrying a stranger. And here we see how the vulnerability of that sacrifice was taken advantage of. So why did you choose to focus on Caesar in this piece and not, for example, your mother? Because I think if I just focus on my mom, I will patronize her too much. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't be a real person because sometimes I don't get to see the flaws in my mom. Mm -hmm. So he's someone that I could actually see flaws in. And I don't know, we just have like a really conflicting history. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting to like admit. Because <clears throat> I think a lot of the times when we write stories, we want to focus on kind of like something is either this or it's that. Right, black like, or white. Yeah, like black or white. Or Yeah, so. Yeah, so the fact that you wanted to focus on something gray or like yes. in between is really, mm -hmm. really like interesting. And it was it was done really, really well. Thank you. Another thing we really enjoyed about the piece was like the way it was structured, kind of like focusing on your inner thoughts. But they're like pulling you in all these different directions. Do you like Caesar? Should you like him? Why? But, like you were also trying to focus more on your future. Like how are different things going to benefit that? So like. Why did you choose the structure in this way? Was it a mixture of several thoughts that you've had in the very same car rides together? Or was it like one morning in particular where you just kind of like woke up and the rush of thoughts and felt like for what felt like, you know, forever? Well, I kind of like always struggle with myself and those are thoughts that have always been in my mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they just come out more often. Right. Because he doesn't, he doesn't always get to hear that. But I always think about it. And I guess I also wrote it so maybe I could get an answer for myself. Mm, like but, digging deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the end, I don't think I ever got that answer either. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because like sometimes when you write a piece like this, it's like you, like at the end, you might expect to have, oh, this big like revelation, mm -hmm. this big discovery. Yeah. But 
Do you feel like you have that or not? I don't think I really was able to get to that, to, like, big revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's just with time, I feel like my feelings change. Mm-hmm. But I guess I always have that conflict in me. Okay. And yeah, that's adding to more of that, like, gray area. And um, <clears throat> there are sections where it's, like, so easy to kind of see that, like, not quite it's easy to see why there isn't like a definite revelation to happen you know what i mean where and it's kind of because we see this other side of caesar where he's not necessarily kind but you can tell he cares about you like when he cries about thinking that you're going to college or wanting to move to the same state as your college is in and it's kind of a strange juxtaposition for a man who kind of like rags on you every day um or like the man that we see at the end um um and you say maybe he's giving up and there's and there's even a part where he kind of like pulls back a bit and you're like maybe he's giving up on being my father he could finally stop calling people for every recognition i receive in school and every time my teachers tell me how smart i am he would finally stop asking me to change my last name to his and he would finally stop expecting me to finally confide in him like all of these things that were like wait this guy's capable of that like we're like reading this story and yeah, it's, like, surprising. So why do you think this is, like, the case? And can I ask, um, where is Caesar in your life now? Well, right now, I mean, he's still my stepdad. And we've thought, we've actually thought about, we've talked about my mom about, like, her getting divorced and we moving away. Mm-hmm. Um, we try, we, like, going back to, like, our two families again. But it's also kind of, like, hard because he's giving us so much. And it goes to a point where he's old. He He's probably going to die sooner. And it's just, like, we can't leave someone like that just to die. Mm. And we can't just leave without, you know, try to, like, make his last moments better, kind of. It's, like... And it's hard to start again. It's hard to to go around life with no money, with nothing support. Like I have family in other states, and they talk to us about moving there with them. At least me, because um, I ended up telling my uncles about the problems at my house, and they asked me to move with them. But a part of me also can't leave my mom, and I'm like, I gotta finish college at least. If I'm doing all the sacrifices, and if I'm being here. Might as well get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this line in the story where you tell yourself, play your fucking yeah. part. Yeah. And, I, and from, 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 from what you've just been saying, it sounds like you, you really still feel this obligation to play this part, to play this part of the stepdaughter and now caregiver for Caesar. And that just uh, seems like such a tremendous burden for you. It is sometimes. It Sometimes it's, it's easier with time. Sometimes, like, it has its moments. Like, there are moments that I can't complain. He is a good father. He's a good person. But there are moments that I just, like, wish I could just go away, like, disappear from his life. I think that says a lot about this. <laughs> I think it says a lot about this dynamic with a person who's, um, I think, I don't know, just so great. I think that's why this piece is so good is that, like it's it's really is like 
you're seeing two sides of a person mm-hmm. because every person is like this. Like there is no one person that's like all evil mm-hmm. or all good or like easy to see the good in them. Um, and one of yeah, like his biggest flaws is that he like isn't your real dad, so he can't like take that spot in your life no matter how much he cries etc like you talk about in the piece like it's just a thing that you are very like um just like no this is kind of how it is and this is how i will keep going with this dude it's just really interesting it's just it's just interesting to see something so um multifaceted like this and um that subject what would you like listeners to take away from this story i guess that sometimes you gotta make sacrifices for your own good and it might seem for some people not the right action or that you're taking advantage of people but sometimes you gotta worry about yourself because mm-hmm. at the end it's what you really have mm-hmm. i agree and it's not like easy for you to make a you know decision like to leave them or not because again like you said there's so much different stuff that can go on you finishing college and taking care of you and your mom and like even if you and your mom are to leave two women it's sometimes it's hard for women than it would be for a man to go out there and try to do something so it's not like a simple thing for you yeah definitely it isn't i mean we're still working on it Mm -hmm. thank you so much marcella for sharing your story with us we are so grateful and we loved having you here thank you so much thank you for being here thank you thank you That concludes our fourth episode of the fourth season, Half Steps. We're also excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind-the-scenes action. We'd also like to thank everyone who helps make this possible including our sound engineers and editors, our episode writers, our website developers, everyone here behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good, good night! night!